Amen. Well, how did everybody do with complaining this week? I did okay. I did okay. My mother sent my son a kinetics toy, and I had to help build it with him this week. It was kind of complex, and I was getting frustrated and irritated, so, so I, I had, I failed this week. And I imagine that if you're like me, which you are, we're all sinners, that you failed as well. Well, I have encouragement for you this morning. The Lord has more to tell us about complaining and disputing this week. Let's go ahead and open up to Philippians 2. Now we'll be dealing with verse 15. Paul continues his thought for us this morning. And we'll be covering grumbling and disputing next week as well. And I want you to see in this passage why I'm using three weeks to cover this topic. Philippians 2.14, I want you to notice in this passage that Paul has one long sentence. I discussed this last week, but I wanna show it to you again. The main idea is verse 14, and it's a command. It's to do all things without grumbling or disputing. We covered that last week. And then in verses 15 and 16, it's all one sentence. And you'll notice that the sentence in English ends right before verse 17. So what that means for us is that Paul has an extended thought in verses 14 through 17. And all of that thought, that thought is built upon verse 14. Verse 14 is the main idea. And verse 14 is gonna be the application for us as we wade through this week and next week. But that's where I'm getting this three-part series from. I'm getting it from this one long sentence. And this morning, we're gonna be tackling verse 15. We're not going to tackle the last part where it says, among whom you shine as lights in the world. We'll deal with that next week. What we're gonna deal with this week is verse 15, except for that last clause. And what we're gonna see this morning, the topic that we're going to tackle, is the purpose of neither complaining nor grumbling and disputing. What is the reason, what is the purpose why Paul gives this command in verse 14? That's the question that verse 15 answers. And I get that from right at the beginning of verse 15, you have this that. Do you see that? You have this that. And in some translations, if you don't have an ESV, your translation might say, so that. And the so that is indicating the purpose for verse 14. Verse 15 answers the reason why we as Christians should obey verse 14. Verse 15 gives the reason for why we should neither grumble nor dispute. And the answer that Paul gives here, the reason why we are to follow verse 14 is to live righteously in an unrighteous world. That's the main idea. The main idea of this morning's sermon is that the reason, the purpose for why we are to obey, verse 14, the reason why we are to neither grumble nor dispute, 
is so that our lives are righteous, so that we live righteous lives in an unrighteous world. That's the idea. Okay, let's close our Bibles and go home. Now, here at CBC, we want to dive into the text and see the nuances and specifics. And so from this big idea, we get two smaller ideas. And one of the the first small idea, write this, and this is my first point. Write righteous living, if you're taking notes. Righteous living. So let's go ahead and read the passage, starting in verse 14. We want to get some context. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Why? Why do we do all things without grumbling or disputing? So that, or that, you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish. So that's the part of the passage that we're going to tackle with this first point of righteous living. Righteousness matters a whole lot in the Christian life. As Christians, we are called to not just believe upon Christ, but obey his commandments. We are called to live a certain way. And Jesus himself touches upon this in his earthly ministry. In this passage that he mentions, that Jesus says in Matthew 5.20, helpfully illumines what Paul means here in Philippians 2.15. So let's go ahead and turn to Matthew 5.20. Matthew 5.20. 20. How we live matters. How we live our lives in the day to day, in the hour by hour, in the minute to minute matters. The Bible has a whole lot to say about our lives as Christians. And God cares about how we live. We're not free to live any old way. Specifically, the Bible teaches over and over again that the life of a Christian must be one that is righteous. Righteousness must be what characterizes the Christian's life. Look what Jesus says here. Matthew 5.20 For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now what Jesus is teaching here, he is not teaching that we are saved based upon our own righteousness. I emphasize this a lot in my sermons. The call for the Christian to live righteously is not a call for the Christian to earn their salvation on the basis of their righteousness. Jesus is not teaching a works righteousness here. What Jesus is teaching here is that in the life of a Christian, as the righteousness of Christ fills the believer, the righteousness of Christ will produce in the Christian a righteousness of their own. Another way to say this, a theological way to say this, is that justification, being saved in the past, results in the process of being saved in the present. We are saved, past tense. We are justified. 
But the way that justification makes itself evident in our lives is through this process of sanctification, through this process of obeying what Jesus says in Matthew 5.20, is the process of our righteousness exceeding the Pharisees and the scribes. This matters. This matters a whole lot. It matters, dear friend, how you live your life. It's not just about being saved in the past. Well, I was saved. It's also about God working out that process in your life in the here and now. You being sanctified, that is essential in the life of a Christian. Righteous living, that's what Paul's talking about in our passage. Let's go ahead and turn back there. Philippians 2.15. And in this passage, in our passage in Philippians, Paul mentions three qualities of righteousness that Christians must have. The three qualities are this. Blamelessness, that you may be blameless. So blamelessness. Innocence, that you may be blameless and innocent. Children of God without blemish. So if we were to turn without blemish into a positive statement, that would be pure. So there's three qualities here of righteousness that Christians ought to have. Blamelessness, blamelessness, innocence, and purity. And I take that what Paul is saying here, some, some interpreters will see these qualities as having differences. What I take it is Paul is saying the same thing three different times. What he is saying is that the Christian, the purpose of not complaining or disputing, is that the, the Christian evidences righteousness. And the qualities of righteousness that he specifies are blamelessness, blamelessness, it's hard to accent there, blamelessness, innocence, and purity. So I don't take Paul to be saying the Christian needs to have different qualities. I take it what he's saying is that the Christian's life, by not complaining, manifests this righteousness. And I want you to see the practical implication, the benefit of having this righteousness, what it means. One of my favorite professors in college, I've said this before, he told us in college, he said that the softest pillow at night is a clean conscience. Amen? The softest pillow at night is a clean conscience. And as we were singing, it is well with my soul. One of the greatest experiences in this life is to be able to say with a clean conscience that it is well with my soul. One of the greatest experiences we can have is to have our conscience at peace with God, that no matter what is going on in the world, no matter what you're struggling through, that you can say, God is good, and that your life is righteous, and that because of that, you have an assurance of hope. You have an assurance of salvation, so within the deepest part of who you are, 
you can say, it is well with my soul. Dear friend, there, there are very few blessings in this life that are as meaningful and rich as that. There is great benefit to not complaining. There is great benefit to not disputing. There is great benefit in having a spirit of thankfulness and gratitude and peacemaking and easygoingness that you can say, it is well with my soul because your life demonstrates these righteous qualities. Now we have this this statement here, children of God. Do you see that? Children of God here. The qualities of righteousness are blamelessness, innocence, and purity. But Paul mentions children of God. We do not become children of God by not complaining or disputing. That's not what Paul is saying here. What we do, though, by not grumbling or disputing is that we evidence that we are children of God. Now, this statement, children of God, in, in our culture, you, can all, you sometimes might hear that, well, we're all children of God, that everybody is a child of God. And I want to take a brief digression to explain why I think that's not true. Turn with me to 1 John Three nine. First John three nine. The question that we're asking of this passage is does the Bible consider everybody a child of God? First John three verse nine. We will read through verse ten. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So to mention the question again, specifically from verse 10. Does the Bible allow for, does the Bible teach that all people are considered children of God? And I think that we have to answer that question no based upon 1 John 3.10. This passage presents two types of people. There are two types of people in the world. One type of people are children of God like we explored in our passage in Philippians 2.15. One group of people is that they are, they are children of God. And what marks these people at the end of verse 10 is that these people do not, excuse me, these people, these children of God, practice righteousness. Philippians 2.15. There's great symmetry in the Bible. The Bible is a wonderful book. All of it connects. Children of God are marked by not complaining or disputing. They're marked by godly living. But then there's a second group. And that second group, the Bible says, are children of the devil. 
and children of the devil who are not children of God, their characteristic is that they do not practice righteousness. They do not obey Philippians 2.14. They do not live righteous lives. Does 1 John 3.10 allow for a third group? No. 1 John 3.10 does not allow for a third group. The Bible teaches that there are two types of people. There are children of God and children of the devil. Now it is true that God is the creator of all people. That is no doubt true. However, the Bible does not refer to those people who are created by God but do not follow Jesus Christ. The Bible does not refer to those people as children of God. They are God's creatures and they have been made by God. But children of God, that term, that title, that phrase is only applicable to Christians. And what this highlights, going back to Philippians, our passage in Philippians 2.15. Go ahead and turn back with me, turn there with me. What this highlights and what we're going to see in the second point is that the Bible oftentimes states that there is a hard line of, of demarcation, of difference. There is a hard line between the church and the world, between the Christian and the non-Christian. Repeatedly, over and over, the Bible teaches that there is this line that separates the world and the church. And the way that 1 John 3.10 describes it is that there are those who are the children of the devil and there are, there are those who are children of God. And going to Philippians 2.15, this is, I'm transitioning here to my second point. So the first point was living righteously. The second point is in an unrighteous world. So whenever we put those two statements, to, state, those two points together, we get the main idea. Living righteously in an unrighteous world. The second point is in an unrighteous world. And look what Paul says here in Philippians 2.15. We are, to, we are to not complain. We are to not dispute. We are to be thankful. And that thankfulness leads us, results in, has its purpose in us living righteous lives. We are blameless. We are innocent. We are pure children of God. We can say, it is well with my soul. And we say this and we live this way where? What is the context in which we live this life out, this life of righteousness? Well, we live it out in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. That is where we let our lights shine. We let our lights shine in verse 16, holding fast, excuse me, the end of verse 15, among whom you shine as lights in the world. We shine this light of righteousness in a dark and dying world. We live righteous lives in an unrighteous world. And this unrighteousness in this passage is characterized by two words, crooked and twisted. These two adjectives are modifying the word generation. What generation he means here is society. 
We are to live righteously in a crooked and twisted society. And these two words, as well as with the the attributes of righteousness, are synonyms. They're referring to the same idea. The word for crooked is the Greek word from where we get the English word scoliosis. You think of scoliosis, the curvature, the unnatural curvature of the spine. It's a crooked spine. It's not something good. Crookedness is oftentimes used to refer to unrighteousness. Those who are unrighteous are twisted in their morality. They're crooked. They're deceptive. And that's what Paul is saying here. And what Paul says here in the first century, dear friend, is very applicable to what it is that we're going through. Let me read you a title from a news article I read this week. Listen to this. The title of the article was, quote, How Coronavirus is boosting booze, drug, and other vice industries. How coronavirus is boasting, excuse me, boosting booze, drug, and other vice industries. A vice is a sin. And what this, art, what this article argues is that while there are a lot of businesses that are struggling right now, small businesses, some businesses are experiencing a boost in sales. And a number of those businesses, the businesses that this article highlights, are businesses that sell cannabis, that sell alcohol, that sell other items that lead to sin. In the difficulty of life, we all look for comfort, don't we? Whenever we're anxious, whenever we're stressed, whenever we're going through something difficult, what we look for is comfort. We are not capable of dealing with life's difficulties. We need help. And we look to these other sources, these other means to help us. And the Bible teaches that Christians in times of difficulty are to rely more and more upon the Lord. What we are to find our hope in is Jesus' blood and righteousness. That's what Christians do, or at least that's what Christians should do. But in the world, the world is just like us. We are just like the world. And what the world does is they too find comfort. They too seek out fulfillment and enjoyment and safety in times of difficulty. And the way right now that we're seeing this crooked and wicked generation manifest itself is finding comfort and safety in sin, in sin, in alcohol consumption. Maybe, dear friend, you are consuming more alcohol now in this difficulty than you were previously. Maybe you are looking to matters of sexual immorality, pornography use. Maybe you're looking to comfort food to make you feel more safe. And these are the practices of a wicked and crooked generation in our time. And what we are to do What we are to do, Christian, dear Christian, is we are to live in a way that is different than the society that we live in. And this highlights an important theological point 
In the past, in the Christian past, in the first, second, third, fourth, and fifth century, the way that many Christians dealt with a wicked and perverse society is they went out in the woods. They went to be monks. They went to isolate themselves away from wickedness. They had this desire for escapism, the way they would handle the difficulty of the world. And the sin of the world is that they would escape. You think of a monastery, monks, nuns, that's the way they deal with the difficulty and sin of society. Now that is misguided. That is misguided. And the reason why I know that it's misguided is because Paul tells us here that we are to manifest this righteousness, this blamelessness, this innocence and purity, quote, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. If you run from the world, if you run from all of the sin, if you run from all of the people who need the light of the gospel, you cannot live righteously in the midst of an unrighteous society. You can't do that. To do this demands being in the world. And connecting this to you, connecting this to where everybody is at. We have families and we have jobs in which we have to rub shoulders with those who are unrighteous, with those who do not live lives of righteousness, with those who are crooked and twisted, with those who grumble and complain constantly, whether that's in our family, in our group of friends, in our workplace. And what God is telling you through this passage is that you are not supposed to run from living righteously in those contexts. The very reason why God has you in that unrighteous place is for you to manifest the righteousness that Christ has given you. And as we will explain next week, you are to shine as lights, the Bible says. So dear friend, if you are in a workplace that is characterized by crookedness and twistedness, don't run from it. Bunker down and live for Jesus Christ. Bunker down and refrain as your employees, fellow employees, complain and bicker. Refrain from that so that you demonstrate righteousness. If you have a family that is characterized by disputing and complaining, if you get on the phone with one of your siblings and all they talk about is the difficulty of what they're going through, there's no thankfulness. Don't immediately hang up. Love them, shine forth the righteousness of Christ. Live your li righteous life in an unrighteous world. That's what Paul is saying here. Don't run from the world. Be in the world and shine forth the righteousness of Christ. Well, dear friend, as we conclude, I wanna start with where we began. So pastor, what are you saying that I'm supposed to do? I've given you a number of points of application. 
But I want to I conclude with what the passage teaches us. Verse 15, grammatically, is built upon verse 14. Neither grumble nor complain. That's the series that we're going in, going through. And the application in last week's sermon, in this week's sermon, and in next week's sermon is going to be built upon verse 14. And dear friend, I want you to see, I want you to see how important not grumbling or disputing is. The way that Paul deals with it here is often differently than how we think about it. I don't know about you, I would imagine you think similarly to how I do, but whenever I tend to think about complaining and disputing, I tend to see those as minor sins, kind of pet sins, like a white lie or something, just kind of not that important. And whenever I'm confronted with a passage like Philippians 2.14, the way I rationalize it is, well, you know, nobody's perfect. You do that, we all do that. Well, it's not that big of a deal. And if you do that, like I do, I want you to see how important it is to this passage. In this passage, you cannot live a righteous life, you cannot let your righteousness shine in a crooked and twisted generation if you're complaining. The way to righteousness in this passage, the way you obey what Jesus says in Matthew 5.20, by having a greater righteousness than the scribes and Pharisees. The way that you do that is very simple. And it's through verse 14. It's through refraining from grumbling or disputing. Grumbling and disputing are big time sins. And the way I know that is because of the structure in this passage. You cannot be blameless. You cannot be innocent. You cannot be pure. You cannot testify in this world if you're disobeying verse 14. You cannot live out verses 15 and 16 unless you start with verse 14. This is very important, dear friends. And the reason why it's important is because complaining and bickering manifest heart attitudes. The gateway to the heart is through the mouth. The way we know how one another, the way we know how each other is doing is by how we talk. And complaining and bickering are symptoms of heart attitudes. And the Lord cares about the heart. That's where sin and righteousness, that's where that battle is fought. And so I want to impress upon you the importance of refraining from complaining and grumbling. I want to impress upon you the importance of obeying Philippians 2.14 as we struggle in this isolation, as we struggle in this quarantine. And the way I want to apply verse 14 is one, I want to tell you to do that. Refrain from doing, refrain from complaining and uh, disputing this week. But I want to take a step of deeper application. I want you to ask the Lord this week, today, ask the Lord where these sins in verse 14 show up in your life. Ask him. Grumbling and and disputing 
because they're heart attitudes, they're not, it's not terribly easy to see where you grumble and dispute. But the Lord knows the heart, and the Spirit is able to show you how you are not following this passage. That would be my request, my pastoral exhortation to you, the specific application of this passage, is that you would ask God, by means of His Spirit, to show you where in your life you are falling short of Philippians 2.14. These things matter. They matter to a large degree. The way we live out our salvation is by obeying Philippians 2.14. Dear friend, continue praying about us gathering for Easter. Continue praying that as a body. I've heard a number of you tell me that you're doing that. Please continue to do that. That is my hope for our church. Please, if you have any needs, contact the church. We are here to help you and be seeking out needs as well. May God bless us as a body and as individuals in our seeking to obey Philippians 2.14. Father, we, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we ask and pray for a deeper sense of our understanding of our complaining and disputing attitudes. I pray that you would lead us to see these not as pet sins, not as sins, well, you know, Lord, no one's perfect. I pray that we would not have that posture. Father, I pray that you would give us a desire, a deep desire to live righteously, to live lives of blamelessness, innocence, and purity in the midst of of a culture and society that take and find comfort in sin. Father, cause us to be different. Cause us, Lord, to obey Philippians 2.14. And as we do, Father, we pray that we would hold forth the light of your word and that people would see the good deeds that you produce in us and would want to be Christians. Bless your name, Father. All glory to you. By the power of the Spirit and in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who died in our place. Amen.